Welcome to the Sir Strong Finish Strong Podcast, the show for business owners in their 40s and 50s who deeply desire two things, a business that serves the market strong, and number two, deeply desire to finish strong personally. I'm your host, Scott Kokenauer, and I'm really honored that you're listening today. This is a really interesting episode. My guest is Matthew Asbell, and with a background in information technology and entertainment and medicine, and a love for global language, food, and culture, Matthew works comfortably with clients in diverse industries. His passion for his work in intellectual property arises from a deep appreciation for creativity, whether in the form of invention, design, expression, or marketing. He assists clients in clearing, obtaining, enforcing, and defending trademark rights in the United States and throughout the world and advises on utility and design patents and copyrights and domain names and related areas, a lot of stuff. Prior to becoming a a lawyer, Matthew managed emerging singer, songwriters and recording artists. He trained corporate employees of a pharmaceutical company to use software applications and studied medicine. This guy is all over the map. He is certified as a software master instructor and a social media strategist. He serves as an adjunct professor of law and frequent guest lecturer at Fordham University and has taught at the Benjamin N. Cardozo School of Law, the Columbia University, and many other places in Spain, actually. He regularly mentors laws, uh, lawyers and law students. Outside of work, Matthew is a native of Philadelphia. He enjoys spending time with his wife, a Brazilian staff member of the United Nations, and their twin children. He is the host of Intangify, which we will get into in the podcast a little bit later. This podcast episode is for those of you who have not thought about the intangible assets that your business has. We're going to be talking about the importance of protecting your intangibles as it relates to the value of your business, especially if you're thinking of selling your business. We also talk about if you're going to exit your business and start something new, well, you definitely will want to keep in mind protecting the idea that you have that you're going to go after if you start that new business in your post ownership years. There's another thing, and we talk about this, you need to stop thinking of simply emailing yourself your idea to start the clock on a trademark. It won't hold water, and we'll talk about that. There are so many things. The main thing about this episode is let it open your eyes to what you may be forgetting or neglecting that you didn't know when it comes to intangible and intellectual property rights. That is very important, and let's get into the conversation with Matthew. Matthew, it is a privilege to have you on the show today. I really appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for having me. Sure. So the interesting topic here, the intellectual property, the kind of stuff that you have in your head that you've accumulated over the years and you're really good at it and it serves a purpose and you've built a business around this intellectual property. There are two veins that I think would be helpful for us to go through here on this this episode for our listeners. The first is for those who own a business and have intellectual property, 
how do we protect that? Right. And, and what's important about that? The second main area that I'd like to go through is if a listener is contemplating or has already exited their business and they want to do something new and maybe they want to leverage all this intellectual property that they have and start something new. A lot of businesses are started by people in their sixties and, uh, and maybe even seventies. So first question is you work extensively in the intellectual property law, which is all about protecting creativity and innovation. How can business owners who are over 45 or in their 50s, roughly, leverage IP to secure their new ventures as they approach retirement? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and it has kind of a very long answer, which I'm sure we don't have time for. But I think you have to start from the premise of, do we all understand what we mean by intellectual property? Because mm -hmm. I think that you know, when you're thinking about, okay, I've got a business and I want to protect my intellectual property. If you sort of think about that very vaguely, there's something I'm supposed to do. And you don't really understand what it is you're supposed to do. Yeah. So intellectual property, right, is about things you create. And it could be inventions or it could be creative works like art or prose. And then there's a business side too that's independent of those types of creations, which is sort of branding and marketing and essentially names and logos and designs and things of that nature. And there are some other categories as well, but kind of recognizing there are all these different things. So one thing you want to do is you want to know what you have. What is yours? What distinguishes you from others? And what is new and different that other people don't have? So you have to sort of recognize the innovation. Sometimes the innovation is obvious. Most often it's obvious. Other times it's buried and you would never have realized that it was that thing is actually protectable. Mm -hmm. So of course, I'm going to tell you it's a wise idea to have counseling and have someone who can, who can help you evaluate those things. And then what you do is you have to decide which things are worth pursuing rights for. Some things you automatically get rights in without having to do anything, but taking additional steps to register those rights in different places in the United States or around the world can increase your rights and secure your rights in a way that that's highly advantageous. Others, if you don't pursue them, you can never pursue them. Hmm. So there's an element of, okay, knowing what's automatic and, and I can do and whether I should or I shouldn't, and then knowing what is not automatic and I and I really need to pursue. And maybe the last sort of quick point that I mean I probably have 20 or 30 points I could make in response to your question, but maybe a, a key point because we're talking about being in a business is knowing, you know, who is the creator of the underlying intellectual property of the work, the invention, the the brand, the name, and what is the agreement in place with that person or persons? Were they employees? Did you have an employment agreement or employee policy? Or were they independent contractors that you hired to do something? And when you did that, did you indicate in that contract anything about those rights and who owns them? Mm -hmm. Of course, prospectively, you think about that in your new business too, right? How do I, this is what I want to do. I want to hire Scott to do this piece. Let me make sure that what Scott delivers to me will be mine. Let me make sure that what Scott delivers to me won't get me in trouble because Scott might not know better. Maybe he downloaded something off the internet that is somebody else's. Mm -hmm. So we've got to sort of 
look at ourselves and think about the rights, how they transfer, the basis for those rights, whether we secure them, and also, so both whether we secure and get the rights for ourselves and whether we're infringing or potentially infringing the rights of others. We've got to always be balancing that, evaluating that, assessing mm-hmm. risk, and deciding what's our plan, and then revisiting it quarterly, yearly, whatever you need. So if a business owner has started a business and it's largely because of the expertise that they have, for example, I've got a client right now who is, by all intents and purposes, is a genius, right, in his vertical He knows so much about the economy and so much about the industry that he is very sought after. He has a lot of knowledge. And when you were talking, something he said came to my mind and he said, I've been told I can monetize this, but he said, it's just so natural to me. It just comes, I feel like I'm cheating for charging because it's so easy. And I'm saying, well, it's so easy because you're a genius at it. Not everybody is a genius at this, right? So having just already from hearing you talk, I'm saying to myself, I need to talk to him about how he can protect his, that genius, that knowledge that he has. We talk about intangible, right? That's what makes things difficult. I've got a mug. I'm not protecting this tangible piece of pottery, I'm talking about something that I know in my head that I verbalize. And the only way you come across is it's intangible, right? That's what makes it difficult. Yes and no. I mean, hold up that mug a second if you can. Yeah. You know, so yes, it's a mug. It performs a particular function. We, It's familiar. We all know what that is. Your particular mug has a pattern on it. You know, Mm -hmm. is that pattern unique? Maybe. Maybe there's an element of that sort of chain link pattern uh, alternating with the lines that makes that mug special. And so it's not just about what's in your mind, right? It's the application of what's in your mind to something that is tangible. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a document or an article of manufacture like a mug or software or a logo or whatever it is, when you apply that knowledge, a book that you write, when you apply that knowledge, it's setting that knowledge down and making it accessible to people, not just having stuff in your head. Having Mm -hmm. stuff in your head is not protectable. You have to actually take further steps. So it has to be something that's protected. It doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be made. If you come up with an invention, it doesn't mean you have to have a prototype, but it has to be expressed in a way that like for, for that, that would be a patent and it would have to be expressed in a way that someone who's in that industry essentially could do it. Okay. So you have to write enough down that they would have enough information to understand what's in your head. I heard something a while back that the best thing you can do when you come up with an idea is to email it to yourself. What are your thoughts on that? Because it yeah, sets the it, clock on a trademark. No, no, <laughs> absolutely. No. I mean, if anything, you're creating risks for yourself because you're assuming that that email is entirely secure and maybe it's not, Mm -hmm. but let's assume it is secure. You're not getting rights by the fact that you emailed something to yourself. And what did you email to yourself anyway? How much does it actually convey what is ultimately the intellectual property you're protecting? I mean, I can email myself that I've got this great idea, but 
if I don't actually delineate all the details of that idea, I may not actually have a record of the invention I've created. So, you know, I think that comes from an old school view about copyright, which is before the Copyright Act of 1976. So it's going back some years. Yeah. But there has long been sort of perpetuated this idea that if you write a song or a poem or whatever, and you would send it in the mail to yourself, and then you'd have a date stamp proving that you had created and it was yours. And I mean, I guess that's some evidence, but it is it is not the same as filing the copyright application, getting a copyright registration, where the Library of Congress has your document and a record of your document. And since you largely focus on people in their fourth quarter, let's also consider that having that document and having that number associated with it makes it much, much easier to be able to get a loan based off of that, assign it to somebody, sell it, list it on a balance sheet, and for people to know what that is and evaluate it. Whereas if it's just, well, I wrote this thing and I sent it to myself, what's the value of that? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I would imagine would be a value would be the date, but how do you, right. I understand that. That's, I'm glad I asked that question because that's such a common thing that people tend to think. Yeah. And in this day and age, also, you said the only thing would be valuable is the date and you're emailing it. In this day and age, even though the word of the year is apparently authenticity, you know, what we've heard in the news, what's happened with all the deep fakes and everything. So you don't think someone could create an email that had a back date? How, yeah. how, how confident can we be in that's real? Right. So for the listener right now, who we just rocked their world, right? They, they've been working with a process for years and it's been successful and it's never been protected, Right question has popped into my head as it relates to the value of a business. If I'm a business owner and I've got property, intellectual property, intangible, and it's not protected and I go to sell the business, does that, like, would a buyer look at that lack of protection as a lower value? Yeah, I think highly likely. When people try to sell businesses, we go through what's called an intellectual property due diligence process. It's part of a larger process where there's a due diligence where the lawyers look through all of the assets of the business and all of the liabilities and really fully evaluate everything. To the extent that there's uncatalogued intellectual property, there's really, it's very difficult to put a value on them. It's very difficult to confirm that it's owned by the business and it's properly owned by the business and can be transferred or wasn't transferred somewhere else. Think about it maybe in a completely different light. Think about a real property, land, or a house. If I own a house. Now, it would be one thing for me to say, I own a house. I tell you I own the house and I sell it to you. And if you bought that house and you didn't have a place to go to confirm that actually I am the real owner of the house and I didn't just sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, you know, and that the chain of title over time is clear. You aren't going to want to pay so much for, for that house that I'm offering you my quick claim deed by my house. Mm. If you can evaluate the house and see, you know, okay, it's this big, 
you know, this many square feet, it's properly owned and everyone has properly recorded all the documents over time. So I can follow the deed back in time and see, and I know for sure. And that's why you have right all those insurances when you do the, do that, mm -hmm. then you can feel much, much more confident when you're making that purchase. And if, if the title insurance person comes back to you and says, I'm not going to insure this when you're selling that house. I mean, I don't know much about that stuff, but you're probably going, I'm not paying that much. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of a title search, right? They do a title yeah. search and, and what are all the liens that are placed on this yeah. property and who is ac the actual owner? If I didn't have that, not only would I be afraid to pay what the person is asking, I wouldn't want to pay anything because it could be that I'm paying Jim Smith when Mary Jones owns the property. And now I just threw all that money to Jim and Jim doesn't own the building and now I'm out a house and the money. So that's similar to when a business owner is looking to sell. They do what you called an intellectual property due diligence, kind of like a title search. You're, you're basically saying, does this company own the patent or the trademark of what they're doing? And if so, would it be true from your experience that props up the value of that business? Yeah, but that's not all you're doing there. You're also looking to make sure that the house doesn't have, you know, some foundation that's broken, leaky pipes or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the intellectual property and going like, is it vulnerable? Is there some weakness to it? What happened in the course of getting it? So it's a much more comprehensive evaluation, mm. not just about the title. It is about the title, but it's also about the, the quality of the rights. Are they sufficiently broad? Have you enforced them? And, you know, and then for valuing these things, economists have different ways of doing it, but one of them is going to be comparables in the marketplace. So if your invention is you know, software, you know, and your software is in a particular industry or does a particular thing, I might look for other kinds of software in that industry or other types of software that do the similar type of thing. Let's say it's factory automation and know what exists out there and what that's sold for in terms of arriving at a price. Right. So those of you listening, if you haven't really ever done anything with trademark, with anything to protect your intellectual property. One of the first things you'll want to do is get with your attorney and begin the process of doing that because that's a thread in the entire process that you won't want to neglect when you go to sell your business or exit your business. And that your, your audience won't want to hear this, but I'll say it anyway. It is not like you're going to the store to go pick up your intellectual property from aisle four, shelf 16. It is much more like you go to your general practice doctor or you go to your specialist doctor who's you know looking at that. In this case, it's specialty because it's IP. And you do that you know, iterative because over time, these things change and you need to keep, they, they have maintenance, they need to be kept up. They also need to be aligned with what, the business is doing. So, you know, you decided six months ago that you were expanding into Canada, but you never sought rights in Canada. If you have that regular quarterly, yearly discussion with that attorney, then we would, you know, notice that when you told us, oh, I just expanded into Canada 
And the first thing I'm going to say is, you know, well, okay, did we protect your, your trademark there as an example? Mm -hmm. it, let me pause and, and just highlight what you're talking about here. Many people who, my, my clients, the people who follow me know that I'm very big on strategic planning. And what you're referring to is a strategic plan that lives and breathes with cadence. It's one thing to do a strategic plan, then put it in the shelf. It's called fourth quarter failure. You know, you, you do all that work to get a strategic plan and then it sits in the owner's shelf or in their desk, or it's a nice plaque on the wall, but nobody, you don't do anything with it. What you're referring to is a piece of a strategic plan that is a part of a quarterly, annual, every five-year cadence of maintenance because things change. And the whole idea of a strategic plan is that when opportunities come along, you're able to be strategic about leveraging those opportunities or disruptions, anything that happens. When you're living with a strategic plan, you can address whatever happens more strategically. So if I'm thinking about going, you know, I have an idea about going to another country, expanding, and I've got a strategic plan, and that includes working with my attorney about intellectual property, then I will have that conversation with the attorney long before <laughs> I make the decision, expand in there, and then live with a bunch of regret. Totally agree with that. The only thing I take issue is the with is five years because I think five years is way too long you know, oh, as a cadence from an IP perspective. But I'll add another layer to that, which is also that particularly assuming that your, your clientele or your listeners here uh, are U.S.-based. U.S.-based people have a habit of viewing the world through the lens of the way the U.S. works. Yes. And so as an example, in the world of trademarks, if you have a name or a logo, right, in the United States, typically, in order to get a trademark registration, you have to be using the trademark. Now, you can file for it beforehand, but ultimately to get the registration and to keep the registration, you have to have use in the U.S. right at that time. Mm -hmm. In most other countries around the world, you just apply and you don't need that use. You get the registration before you have the use. So what a lot of U.S. people do wrong when they sort of impose their U.S. views on, well, I guess that's how it's going to be everywhere else, is they think, well, I'm not yet in Canada. I'm not yet in Europe or China or wherever else. And because I'm not yet there, I don't need those rights yet, so I'm not going to worry about it. Mm -hmm. But because those countries, most countries, allow you to go and register earlier, you should be more having a like a three to five year plan as to right. where am I going, where are my highest priorities, and you should already be working towards getting those rights in those countries because you aren't waiting to actually be in the marketplace selling a product. Very interesting point. And this again proves that having a strategic plan is not constrictive. Having a strategic plan actually opens up opportunity for you and keeps you from regret. Let me, we've been talking about running a business now, currently, you know, and what we do. And hopefully we've opened some eyes 
in our discussion so far that that we've caused business owners to have that first conversation with their attorney if they haven't already. If you're listening and you've already got a a whole strategy with your intellectual property, but it's been a little while since you've talked to your attorney, you may want to talk to them again and and say, here's everything that we're doing. It's been a while since we talked. Let's make sure we're in sync with our protection of our intellectual property. Now I want to turn to the business owner who is either contemplating selling, exiting, you know, doing whatever, but no longer going to be a part of their business that they've been with for years because they have an idea. And in their vocational alignment in their fourth quarter, they're going to shift from owning a business that they've owned for several decades to starting something new based on an idea that they have. What would your input be to that person before they do anything as they pursue this idea? So once again, a great question that has a long answer. We'll try to hit some key points. So one concern that I would want to raise, make sure I knew the answer to is, are they taking things from their old business into this new concept, Mm -hmm. right? you set it up that they're the owner of this old business so that that may be something they can do and or that they can plan for but you know maybe there are others involved so i would just want to make sure you know is there anything coming over because in the coming over we may need to transfer rights or to get permissions or anything of that to avoid you know getting in trouble Mm -hmm. but Let's assume it's in a completely different direction, a completely new thing, completely unrelated to the old business, and there's no issue there. Then I'm thinking about, well, what is the, this new idea that you've got? And what, when I ask that question, I'm asking to try to, my IP-oriented mind, I'm trying to categorize the different things that this new business idea is that fall within the different laws. So I'm thinking, and probably as a priority, I'm thinking about inventive machines, methods, processes, things of that nature that are typically covered by utility patent. I think of that first because that's the one that's got a time limit that if they don't do it and if they don't make the protections up front, they can lose the opportunity to protect it. Whereas most of the other forms of intellectual property can be protected even late in the game. So I would worry about inventions, processes, machines, methods, things of that nature, designs, and it depends on what the design is of, right? Um, But designs for physical products might be something I would be worried about because that also falls under the patent law and has that same limitation. But then I would really be trying to get at, okay, so what are the different components of this idea and what are the ways in which they can be protected? And basically I'm looking at it from a perspective of what is to be protected, where I should be protecting it because the protections are typically national in scope. So what it is to be protected, where it should be protected. And then I would also, and I alluded to this, I guess already, want to assess the risks of associated with this, meaning is there someone else who owns 
prior rights that this would be violating, whether or not you know that. Mm-hmm. And so I would want to evaluate those aspects so that they don't get started only to find out they're getting sued. Yes. Yes. So a equivalent to a title search, only what's out there that is equal to or similar to what my idea is before I start to claim it as my own. Yeah. What do I need to differentiate from and what covers what I'm doing, if anything? Okay. So we're talking about protection. What are we protecting ourselves against? What, what, what is the whole reason, like, let's stay with this individual owner who is going to start with a new idea. Why protect it anyway? Why not just go out and do it? Oh, well, I mean, there are a number of answers to that, but I guess the main one is you can erode the, the business or it can not last as long. Because you get a competitive advantage, right, from your exclusive rights. So IP is about exclusive rights. It's a property right. Property means putting a fence around what's mine and I'm keeping people out. That's what property is, right? Mm -hmm. So intellectual property is I'm putting a fence around the thing that I created so that others can't do it without my permission that they have to pay me for or Mm -hmm. something of that nature. If I own intellectual property rights, if I bother to put a fence around my property, then I am going to have advantage in terms of I can till my soil and grow a garden. I don't have to worry about the animals or the people coming in and taking my eggplants. Mm. So I can do it and I don't have to worry about people copying and having that erode my business because someone's selling a knockoff of what I do or a variation or even an improvement without me getting my my share for that. Mm-hmm. So protection is that competitive advantage. Um, yeah, and I would imagine the value goes up because of the scarcity of the ownership. You know, if everybody owns the same thing, then the value of that thing is goes down. But in the exclusivity leads to value. I mean, it depends on what we're talking about specifically in terms of intellectual property, but the nature of exclusivity means only one entity, one person owns that. There may be similar things that other people own, but there shouldn't be multiple people owning the same thing Mm -hmm. unless they're joint owners, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, the value is in exclusivity. Other people can't do it. Can other people find a way around it? Sure. People come to me all the time. And they're on the other side of, you know, defending against someone challenging them or trying to do something that's in a particular space and they want to figure out how to get around it. And, you know, they use their intellectual property attorney to evaluate that too. So that's another way it could be useful. I believe we have opened Pandora's box, (laughs) some listeners, and we may have created more questions than answers. But I understand you have got a podcast where you go into depth of this and it's called Intangify. Tell us a little bit about that. Where can we find this podcast? Yeah, sure. Thank you. What is it mostly about? So Intangify is not really about intellectual property law, although intellectual property is one category of intangible assets. 
Mm-hmm. So Intangify is intended to be broader. So Intangify is a podcast that is about the intangible assets of business. There are all sorts of other intangible assets apart from intellectual property, right? Human resources can be an intangible asset for a business. Marketing can be an intangible asset for business. So there's many other aspects. And I use it really as a way to have my world of IP fit within the context of a broader focus on really what are the values that, you know, what should be valued in what we're protecting. For for the most part, what we care about when we're, when we're starting a business, right? I mean, we may want to bring a product to market, but how do we do that and maximize our success and ensure our longevity for the people who are leaving businesses or retiring, things of that nature, right? How do I ensure that business will be valuable when I leave it behind? I have succession. So Intangify is intended to really address all different aspects of intangible assets of business. Sometimes we talk about intellectual property. Other times it's completely unrelated. The podcast is is currently on talkradio.nyc. That's where you can go to listen to an audio, audio versions uh, and there are transcripts there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also readily accessible on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook. And those are video. So, you know, and I hope, Scott, that I'll have you on an upcoming episode because I know what you do is very interesting as well. And my audience would, would greatly appreciate learning about the fourth quarter planning. I would be honored. I would be honored to be on that. Yeah. So this is definitely something you do not want to neglect whether you're running a business, selling a business, starting something new, whatever it is that's part of your story as you move into your fourth quarter, intellectual property and intangibles needs to be addressed. You need to take a look at that. And if necessary, go to your attorney and begin to get educated on how to protect what you have come to be so good at. And and especially when you're building the purchase, when you're building out the purchase of your business, that's the time before the cement hardens. It's the time to hammer out the what you can and can't do with what you know. Because you may want to take something that you've built a business around and you want to take an aspect of it and go consult. Or you want to start another business doing something. This has been really fascinating. There's just so much involved. And I'm glad we had this conversation to kickstart. You know, one of the main things I love about this podcast episode the most is that we have enlightened listeners to something that now that they're enlightened, they won't be bit in the rear end having not known about it. I mean, it's just the the more you know, the more you can be strategic and not surprised in a negative way. So that's what I love about this. And you've been almost every answer to your question was prefaced by, well, there's a big answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So there, it goes deep, it goes wide. And I would encourage all of you listening to click on the link that we put in the show notes to Intangify. You've got to make Matthew a part a voice in your scenario so that you can become more educated about what's going on that is 
all about the intangibles of what you're doing. Matthew, this has been fascinating. Yeah, thank you. I, I greatly appreciate it. Intangify, I think, can hopefully be useful to you. But I, I think probably a more important message from my perspective is that if you have a lawyer that you work with, go to that lawyer and set up regular quarterly annual checkups on, on the issues of intellectual property. And if you don't, then reach out to someone so that you can establish that relationship. You expressed how it's interesting. And I kind of smiled and kind of <laughs> felt like, you know, I could take credit for that. But I can't take credit for why intellectual property is interesting. You know, one thing we didn't say is that intellectual property comes from governments. And why does it come from governments? Governments are trying to incentivize technological development and the sharing of arts and expression. And so governments have created these rights and they're there for the taking in terms of exclusivity, but, but it is the way in which you get competitive advantage in exchange largely for sharing what it is you're creating and making it available for future generations. So thank you very much and well, really appreciate your having me. That is a really cool perspective because exclusivity is kind of like protection, you know, in a negative sense. What you're referring to is we have those protections so that we can be more collaborative. And I can take an idea and you can bring an idea and together we can make synergy. We can create one plus one equals three because of the rights that we each have. That is fascinating. Well, we may have you back on the show down the road and there's just so much to talk about. But again, I think the main benefit is that we may have opened up some eyes to some critical pieces of running a business, selling a business and starting something new. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of the Serve Strong, Finish Strong podcast. Here are your next steps. Number one, subscribe to the show. That way you'll be notified of upcoming episodes. Number two, share with a colleague. The show is dedicated to mature business owners who want a great company and seek a fantastic fourth quarter. Number three, visit servingstrong.com slash pod, P-O-D, for details on what to do with episodes. It's a place for you to dive just a little deeper on the topics that matter most to you. Hey, thanks for listening. And until next time, here's to your business serving the market strong. And here's to you personally finishing strong. This has been another episode of the Serve Strong, Finish Strong podcast. I take your time very seriously. Therefore, my pledge is to continue bringing you information and insight you need to be successful in your adventure as you finish strong. Be sure to check the show notes for the information related in this episode. Subscribe to be notified when new shows drop and leave a review if you're so inclined. I'll talk to you next time.